name's Tegan Aline. My name is Melanie Nevis. And today we're going to be talking about something that you've probably been wondering, hey, why haven't these two girls talked about it sooner? Because it seems like something they would want to talk about. And it's true. We did. We're going to be talking about Avalon. Avalon. Avalon and Morgan Le Fay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another very elusive uh, topic in the Arthurian legends, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Because Morgan's only... Well, there's so many things to say, but essentially they're just not very fleshed out in the all of the earlier versions, right? Yeah. yeah. Partially that they're not fleshed out, partially that they're just very different from what we've ended up with. <laughs> yeah. How do you and how how do you mean exactly? Elaborate. Morgan Le Fay as a character. Um, you know, we know her as this evil sorceress more so now. But originally, she was a lot nicer. She was like a very benevolent figure at first, and that has changed. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's that's basically what I mean by that. So when you're when you're saying that she started out as because I always kind of thought it was the other way around. I kind of thought she starts out. I guess it depends on where you start, right? Like, ugh. It depends on where you start. I think before we even get to Morgan Le Fay, though, we should kind of just overview Avalon because that's where she's from. And I think it's where a lot of Arthurian legends, you know, it's it's a really important part in Arthurian legends because it's where Arthur's taken after the Battle of Camelon and either where he died or recovered, depending on the legend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also her home. And so there's like a lot of mystery surrounding Avalon. So what is, <laughs> my question is like, what the hell is Avalon? <laughs> yes. So I, Avalon, what is it? Where is it? It's very, I feel like even with the most information we have, it's still quite vague, I want to say, because mm-hmm. from what I understand, there are at least there's one place where they're pretty sure it is, but then there's another place that could also be it. But I, what I remember reading is that it is um, there's a connection between the word Avalon and it having like a lot of apples, those like big mm-hmm. apple orchards everywhere, and that there's also a connection to healing people, and essentially it's like this mystic island where these women lived like I feel like I can't help but think that that whole mysticism is kind of like done on deliberately like it's very shrouded and we don't know it it is it is shrouded in mystery so yeah I read the thing about the apples as well it is a place that's said to be the final resting place of Arthur and the place where Excalibur was forged Mm-hmm. It's the home of Morgan Le Fay, who is this benevolent sorceress, sorceress and healer, especially when the myths kind of come to be and when they're first written down. Mm-hmm. And the exact location is unclear. It's up for debate. But it is dis- described as as this magical realm that's really difficult to access. And so I yes. think that this the fact that it's clouded – and shrouded in mystery, like you said, it is done on purpose because we don't understand it. We don't understand where it is, where it's from, like what else 
exists there. Mm-hmm. So like some sources say that it's off the coast of Wales. Others say that it's in the English Channel. Others say that it's in Somerset. Others say it's in a parallel dimension. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say that a lot of a lot of people think that it could just be like an alternative universe where or an alternative dimension where I mean, like technically, if you want to take the approach of like fairy lore fairy mm-hmm. fairies like live in a parallel universe to ours kind of so it could yeah. very much be a part of that especially because morgan le fay is supposed to be connected to the to the fairy realm so that that would kind of make sense too especially with all of the super magical swords and armor they get to they make and produce yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like there's all these magical swords so they it makes sense that they would come from a magical place so yeah, this concept of the other world or another realm yeah. makes makes sense. And um, it's a place of healing and rejuvenation. And it's this like paradise-like land of eternal youth and beauty that also has a lot of apple trees. Because <laughs> you know what they say about apples? An apple a day. Keep you young forever. Keeps the doctor away? Yeah. Okay. I was like, where are you going? Keeps you young forever? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, right? No, but it's interesting yeah. because I think a lot of people have settled on Glastonbury as being yes. Avalon, right? Because at the time, whatever time mm-hmm. that was, Glastonbury is kind of like up on a hill and there's a whole bunch of like old marshland that could have surrounded it making it seem like it was like in water and you would have only been able to get there by like crossing like a bridge or something like through the water to get there right that's the idea yeah it's not an island today on on top of this hill which is called a tour is Mm. this little castle like thing um and it used to be surrounded by lowlands the lowlands used to be or it is surrounded by lowlands, but the lowlands used to be marshes, which yes. were only accessible by a board wooden boardwalk. Yes. And it's actually like the world's oldest timber trackway there was dated back to 3800 BCE. Whoa. Okay. Well, there we go. And then people started draining the lowlands since about the 11th century. So oh, at the time that this would have happened and like, you know, at the time that these things would have been written because Joffrey of Monmouth's Historica, where Avalon is first described, that's written in 1136, so 12th century. So just the century before is when the lowlands would have actually started to be drained of water. So it's in recent history that all of this area would have been wet, I guess. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. And then I also read, like you said, that, um, that people also make might think, and I quite like this idea a little bit more, to be honest, that um, it's the Isle of Man, mm-hmm. which I think is quite interesting. And then yeah. again, kind of like what I was saying, not well in the last episode about Nova Scotia, it's kind of like, it's very, like Isle of Man even more so is quite isolated. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives, like, even in our very modern, not it's not like everybody just goes to the Isle of Man on a holiday, right? Like, only people that really search it out end up there. And there's apparently yeah. tons of apple orchards there, too. So that's the other reason why um, yeah. it could be potentially associated. In Irish mythology, yeah. 
in yeah, Irish mythology, yeah. it's got like a rough association with uh, Amen Ablach, mm-hmm. which um, is an island paradise where apple trees fruit and flower at the same time. So that's supposed to be the Isle of Man. Oh, and it was cool. known as the home of Mananan MacLeod, who was an Irish sea god. You said that is super like, good. No. I feel like. I think. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know, but it sounded good. Cool. Yay. You're so I did I did listen to it to see if I could like get the pronunciation. <laughs> okay. You're really good. You're really good. Props. <laughs> <laughs> not always, not always, no. But um and it's it's supposed to be like a place of healing and where there's no winter and it has forests mm-hmm. of apple trees. So with those similarities, it, it kind of became as a, po- a possibility for Avalon. For and I sure. think this whole thing around this God at some point, I don't want to say it got debunked, but they were like, like maybe it's not, it wasn't named after that God. So if you took that away, what else? what else would it why what else would draw the conclusion I don't know to me I immediately felt like that was Avalon like if I had to pick <laughs> the two, like I would pick the Isle of Man I think it makes a lot of sense but anyways I digress maybe they just don't want people to know that's where it is and if that's the case go to Glastonbury you know I mean yeah there's there. a lot of stuff about Glastonbury and Arthur which we kind of talked about in the very first episode talking about yeah. Arthur and the Arthurian legends and and the uh, monastery there when it was operational, it was mm-hmm. like the biggest one, but then it burned down and then they just found the bones and started this myth of Avalon or not myth of Avalon, but but like these myths of Arthur and Guinevere being, being buried there only 10 years after it burned down. And that's just, it seems too coincidental. Yes, I to agree. Me. I agree. I mean, I love the story because, you know, they also say that the tour crosses a b- the bunch of ley lines cross there and mm. that it is an entrance to a Celtic fairy realm or something like that Ooh. is at the top of the tour or at the base of the mountain, one of the two. Now, please be advised if you're planning to visit this because you're interested in ley lines and you want to find a fairy realm, be careful because a lot of the times it happens that people find the fairy realm. They just don't come back to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so like proceed with caution. Yeah. Claire was really lucky. <laughs> yeah. That time traveling thing is like a whole other. Yeah. We're talking about an outlander. Case, you know. But I know, a, but they thought that she was taken by the fairies. Yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> business. That's like a whole other thing. I would love to just like, explore that a little bit but I mean from what I like I think before I was into any like okay let's just put it this way fairies were like my gateway into into paganism um and they were like the first thing that I got like interested in growing up and almost every story every account like everything single thing that I have come into experience in relation to fairies and please also side note that I work with a fairy oracle very often <laughs> on my on my healing page Ravi Vey Holistic on Instagram uh, shameless plug they said it was okay um, <laughs> the fairies are always they're kind of dicey right like like you should always proceed with like a little bit of lightheartedness but also a little bit of caution because they don't take things the same way that we do and also there's lots mm-hmm. of stories of people just getting lost in fairy realms so if you're trying to search those out just like 
I'm so dead serious. Like, be careful. <laughs> like, be careful. Fair. Don't get Fair. yeah, because you might not come back. That's the thing. <laughs> Which okay, so like to bring this back, to like Avalon. this concept of the uh, yeah, this concept of the Celtic other world mm-hmm. is the theory that Avalon isn't of this world at all because there isn't really any early written evidence to connect Avalon directly to the real location. And because of this, this leaves room for a lot of creative ideas. So ancient Celts believe that apples had magical healing properties. Irish and British believe that islands could be portals to the other worlds where our souls mm-hmm. and dead dwelled in eternal youth and eternal bliss. Yeah. And so those two things together means that Avalon may have been about pre-Christian British and Irish views of the afterlife and may have been associated with death. Um, and and that's that a very sense. different, and that's why it's kind of mystical and unknown and why a lot of Christian authors maybe didn't touch it. <laughs> yes, because it freaked them out. That's so interesting. Yeah. Oh. You know, apparently, actually, locals and visitors to Tor claim to see unusual lights in the sky and around the base of the tower. So that's why a lot of people also think that there's this portal at Tor in Glastonbury. Oh, that's so cool. I actually know people that that teach this, teach about this in, like, metaphysical classes and stuff. So I know that it's very, very you know, it's still a hot topic <laughs> yeah. to this day. Um, and hey, I'm definitely going to check it out the next time I'm in the UK. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, there's also apparently another island in the north of France, actually, Ile Laval. Okay. Don't know where that is. Gonna Google it. It's apparently the northwest coast of France. Uh, and there's a theory that that is what, where Avalon is. Because they've like sense. unearthed a lot of skeletons and people and horses from the foot of a standing stone, apparently. So like that's one theory. You could, uh, but then Yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. There's also a poet uh, named Robert Graves, who in his novel Golden Fleece suggested that Mallorca in Spain okay. is actually Avalon. I so think, hmm. I don't know. Like it could be. Avalon being Glastonbury Tor is the most prominent theory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess this is the whole thing. Like any island kind of like floating off in the mists of the water could feel mystical and feel like another realm and another world at any point. And all of them are beautiful and all of them. Like yeah. Islands just have a thing, right? Like even in modern times, islands just have this thing that make you feel like rejuvenated and something about being surrounded by water. So like, there's a like a lot of kind of symbolism and energy that just kind of Mm -hmm. like flows naturally with that idea. So I could see how the two could like overlap no matter where it might be. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny that you say that because again, in Glastonbury tour, there's the, the low-lying ground produces an optical illusion that's called Feta Morgana. Okay. Where Tor looks like it's rising up and out of the mist. Oh, boy. And it's because light rays are bent when they pass through layers of, like, temperatures of air that are different, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it Whoa. creates this, like, cool phenomenon. And then that term, Feta Morgana, it 
comes from Italy, but it also originates from Morgan Le Fay, mm-hmm. and it means fair Morgan in Italian. Yeah. Okay. And that is also a testament to the fact that these stories about Morgan Le Fay and like this term for miss were carried by Norman settlers all the way to like Italy. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is kind of cool. That's very Because they use an Italian term to describe this optical illusion that happens in the UK. Yeah, you know, well, we've seen it once, we've seen it twice, we've seen it many times. The way <laughs> words spread, things travel. Yeah, yeah. So it Avalon. Morgan, which is cool. Avalon, very, you know, kind of a, sounds like a beautiful place. I, I think that as a girl growing up, in the 90s and early 2000s, interested in witchcraft and all of those things, learning more about, like, Avalon feels like this call, right? Like, it feels, I don't know. Tell me if I'm You wrong. read The Mists of Avalon, didn't you? I have not read The Mists of Avalon. No. Oh. Not only have I not read The Mists of Avalon, but I just found out it was a book series, like, this week. Or last week, I guess, technically. I didn't, even, really? I didn't even know. I had no idea. I, I didn't knew that, know that either. I Oh. I tried. You didn't know it was a series? No. I And I tried to read it, and I just couldn't get into it. Uh, no. So I actually saw the mini series like a million years ago when I was a kid. And I think, I want to say it was the late 90s or maybe early 2000s. Like there was a whole mini series around Merlin and Martin Short played Merlin. And then there was a whole- Really? Series. Oh yeah. And there was a whole mini series. It's such terrible casting. I think he, I always thought he was really good actually. He's a shapeshifter really? in it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, oh, okay. listen, mm. I just wa- rewatched the previews. I was trying to find them to stream. I can't find them anywhere. Um, I so I rewatched the previews, and by today's standards, it looks hokey as fuck. But I swear <laughs> to you, first of all, these were movies that were released. These were miniseries that released straight to DVD. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so but there's also the Mists of Avalon with Angelica Houston and Juliana Margulies, and the the mom from Game of Thrones. She's in it too. I don't oh. care. I'm going to find it. I'm going to rewatch it. Whether or not it's good. I didn't read. <laughs> I didn't even know there were books. I didn't know that series was an adaptation of the books of the Miss of Avalon. But I did look into, I did do an overview for this podcast of the book series because mm-hmm. there's just not a lot of material about Morgan Le Fay or Avalon. Yeah. Historically, like kind of what we've said already is it and that's it. So it's really I thought it was really interesting because once we hit the 70s, this is when we start to see more character development around Merlin and then by the mm-hmm. 80s, Mists of Av- in 1983 I think, uh Mists of Avalon is released, uh which mm-hmm. is the full-on development of uh, basically, it's uh, the the Arthurian le- legends told from the perspective of Morgan Le Fay, right? Yeah. So, and it kind of changes. It changes every. It kind of changes the whole synopsis of the story. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, just really quickly, obviously, all the controversy surrounding the author. Oh, I don't at the know. Time I was reading it. Oh yeah, at the no. time that I was reading it. Uh, none of this had come out, so 
Can I just ask, um, yeah. was she a white supremacist? Is that what you're about to say? No, she was okay. accused of uh, child sexual abuse by her daughter. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa, didn't know any of that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of controversy about the author, um, Marion Zimmer Bradley, I think. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, but no. like – at the time, you know, when the series, the mini series was coming out and all the stuff and like when I was a teenager reading it or trying to read it because I never actually got through the whole thing. Well, I this guess. This stuff hadn't come out yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so fucking upsetting, honestly. I have to mm-hmm. swear. Like, uh, it's just you uh, – that's such – Yeah. I'm so sorry. And it's unfortunate that, because – well, it's unfortunate for a lot of reasons, but yeah. it is one of the few books that kind of provides that feminist lens and perspective to a lot of these stories. And obviously that is done and it's like someone more pre- like of the modern day and era taking those and adapting them. And we see that happening a lot. Yeah. Now. So on one hand, I was going to say, I actually think that that's a good thing. Like, in the sense that, like like I said, we live in a uh, time now from the approximately like the late 1800s to now. We've seen a huge revival and we've kind of covered that revival of magic in its various forms throughout history. And it is a more modern setting, um, a backdrop to explore, but it, it's possible because there is this like freedom to explore these things, to look under new perspectives. But you know what? Like it's really just that that information just really it changed everything for a, you, didn't it? Such a fucking, yeah. I don't even have yeah. the words. I just want to swear yeah. a lot. It's so upsetting. Yeah. And all this to say too, is many of these writers or authors or these people, like it doesn't really matter whether they're pagan or they're just like exploring, you know, a feminist lens or they're, you know, Christian or whatever, a lot of them are shitty people. Yeah. There's a lot of shitty people in the world. And it sucks because it becomes really hard to find anything (laughs) that you can like look at and explore without finding out that the author was a huge a-hole. Yeah. Sadly. so disappointing, man. I'm so crushed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so let's move on. Yeah. Away from that then let's Mm. pivot to, who is Morgan Le Fay? Oh. So, like, she's known as being this fairy, Thai priestess, dark magician, enchantress, witch, goddess, shape changer, healer. She's, like, known as being a lot of things, but mm-hmm. she's first introduced into Arthurian legend by Geoffrey of Monmouth in 1150. But there's a lot of theories that her character – leads back to Celtic mythology and then kind of develops with tales and oral traditions as things change and like develops into this new rendition of the tale basically. And because she is so mystical and because the place that she's from and inhabits is so mystical, again, you can kind of see how that link to Celtic mythology exists Mm -hmm. and how it would be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sometimes she goes by Morgan, sometimes Morgana, sometimes Morgane, um, but she's a staple figure. Yeah, I always found that confusing because in that whole story where 
this girl, like, I see this happening a lot in stories where they'll have like three sisters or four brothers or whatever. And two of them will have almost identical names. Like there's Morgan and then there's Morganus or something like this. And apparently that like in one of the Arthurian legends, she's the one that he has um, Mordred with, Mm -hmm. but it's like ultimately organized by Morgan Le Fay. And then there's other versions where she is her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that part of it is, yes, there's like, I almost think it's different facets of the same character sometimes. And I think so too. Yeah. Even at one point we we read something that Morgan Le Fay and um, the Lady of the Lake were ultimately the same character as well. Right? Which yeah. they very well yeah. could have been. And then just broken up for And then like sometimes Vivian is her sister. And, and so there's all of these stories. But in terms of there being a lot of names that are just slightly different, they're all very similar. I think it's either different facets of the same person or just in terms of where the stories are told, that's that version of the name in that place. So how does, now, just before the podcast, we were talking about that book series that you had recommended at the beginning of the podcast by Jack White. Jack White. What's his, yeah. what's his, what's his story oh on my gosh. Morgan Le Fay? Do you know slash remember or no? I don't remember. Okay. Uh, I really don't want to reference Miss of Avalon now, <laughs> but I'm going to just because I feel like it would be remiss not to. He goes, I think he, he still refers to her as Morgan Le Fay. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure like she is an enchantress and like owner of some magic tree house or something like that. But I don't remember the details of the story. It's been a while since I've read the series. Yeah. But I know she goes by Morgan Le Fay because I just looked that up. So a few things, a few things to note. Um, Morgan Le Fay obviously would mean in French it would be Morgan the Fairy. <laughs> Basically, the fact that she has a French name with the le in there kind of ind- indicates it can also indicate a place that she's like coming from like a fairy land or mm-hmm. that she is of fairy origin, which kind of goes back to what we talked about in relation to Avalon. In the mists of Avalon, they portray her as essentially a girl who has been raised with the Celtic tradition and the book kind of looks at her position as she's growing up to become like a, um, a Celtic priestess. And she's also living through an era where Catholic, like where Catholicism is coming in and taking over. That's the perspective of the Miss of Avalon. And it's really interesting because again, it kind of feels like that would potentially track at the time she's trying mm-hmm. to hold on to the Celtic customs and cultures of her of her ancestry and she's also trying to work with Arthur to keep that intact but at the same time we have this like backdrop of everything related to the grail going on and you know obviously they change the story mm-hmm. quite a bit and you know people get conflated from the original stories but essentially that's the position of of that series is that she's actually meant to be a keeper of the traditions of the old celtic ways 
and and I feel which like which is just such a modern take. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and also like a feminist take. It's uh, a modern, such a modern feminist take. take so but, does, but why? Different from, but but how? How is it different? Because if she's vague, if she's vague in every other story, and she's a sorceress, or she's a fairy, or she's a something like how how actually is that different? Okay, so um, she's usually introduced as Arthur's half sister, right? Her mom is a yes. green, just like his. Yeah, but she's part of uh, her mom's marriage with well, her first husband he's the daughter of the father that got killed in battle while yeah. uther pendragon was pretending to be her father and sleeping with her exactly mother. exactly so Starts and he there. was the duke of cornwall yeah so in english depictions in the 14th and 15th centuries so already later so we're talking mallory's le marc d'auteur sir gowan and the green knight she is kind of in the fringe of society and the fringe of arthurian court all and is constantly plot, plotting, period. Yeah, and is is plotting the downfall. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Mortator, she steals Excalibur, gives it to her lover Acalon, with the intention of overthrowing Arthur and ruling in his place. The theme, the scheme is kind of thwarted, and Arthur discovers the sword, the sword, um, but she steals its magical scabbard, which has healing properties, mm-hmm. and. Because of that, indirectly contributes to Arthur's fatal blow, mm-hmm. and yes, she also because he's not conspires protected anymore. Exactly, she also conspires against Guinevere because they both want Lancelot, and in right. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, she sends the Green Knight into Arthur's court in the hope that Queen Guinevere will be frightened to death. Okay, wait. So I'm gonna repeat so, this back because I want to make sure I'm understanding. Prior to Mm -hmm. that period, we just know her as a sorceress and... Well, yeah. So like in earlier telling, so that's the 14th, 15th century. In earlier earlier stories, Mm -hmm. she's like way more benevolent. So in the 12th century, she's just described as the most beautiful of nine sisters Mm -hmm. who rule Avalon. And she has healing powers and can shapeshift and fly. And when Arthur is wounded in the Battle of Camelon, he's brought to her for healing because she's trusted. So she's not plotting his downfall. She promises that she can heal him and actually tries to. Okay. Interesting. So it's like it changes. All of a sudden there's this she's linked and and is plotting his downfall and is this terrible wicked sorceress and she has healing powers earlier she has these healing powers and is like almost linked as a supernatural female character it's kind of like linked to celtic mythology yeah it has these other worldly worldly characteristics but she's not yeah i guess my point is like she's very different from the later stories in in the mists of avalon it's very different from the later stories. Well, it sounds like those later stories kind of circle back around more to the original version of her as opposed mm-hmm. to that 15th century version of her. Yeah, because you're right. Because she's connected back to her Celtic heritage. Like, let's, I don't, I don't like to downplay like what happens in the real world at all. But like, <laughs> if we look at the character of Morgan Le Fay, she gets connected back to her celtic heritage she gets connected back to being benevolent she gets connected back to all of the things that she's like originally associated with 
mm-hmm. prior to Christian influence, I want to say, when they start just kind of demonizing like all the women in their Arthurian legends. I think it's um, the shift in portrayal happens just because in the late medieval period, magic was associated with witchcraft and the devil. And there was a shift in general perception of like all women are bad because they're linked with witchcraft and the devil. But what's really interesting, what I've always found kind of interesting is like in these later medieval stories – Morgan Le Fay is this – she's got evil ambition and sexual immorality and is this really dark character. But Merlin, who is described as being the son of a demon, yeah, is always treated go. kindly. Yeah. So, okay. Right? Like he's still seen as Arthur's protector. I read something about one of the more, I can't remember which one. I can't remember if it was, no, it wasn't Clutchamp. Maybe it was Mallory. I can't remember. One of, or maybe it was the other, the guy in between those two. I can't remember. But one of them (laughs) (laughs) tells the story that basically Merlin's mother was a Virgin Mary. She was very pious. She was a good woman. She was a nun. And then um, she is maliciously raped by a demon from hell. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. from that, Merlin is birthed. But just before he is like passed through the canal, basically, just before she gives birth to him, there is a there is a guy um, named Blaze. So I'm assuming this is Saint Blaze comes in and he he gestures the sign of the cross on her stomach just before Merlin is born. And because of this, Merlin is born a good, noble person, but because of his demon father, he still retains the magical powers. Okay, so... Which, by the way, is basically the plot for every half-demon, half-human fucking story that ever existed in in (laughs) storytelling. (laughs) Oh, God. They only get to keep the good stuff, which is nice. And I guess that's what you would hope for people that have demon parents, you know. <laughs> but I guess, but it's just it's okay. It's that's okay. that's just like one the one of the very Catholicized like retellings of Merlin. That's but I guess super Catholicized. But I but I get, and I guess that that's what saves Merlin while Morgana is condemned for being a woman seeking magic and political power for herself. I get that. I get what you're saying about the Mists of Avalon being like super modern, super feminist. I think that we're a bit too hard on modern ad- adaptations of things, though. In general, no, I don't think it's bad. You know? I don't think it's bad at all. Like, I actually like a lot of modern adaptations and interpretations that are more fem- more feminist. It's just like it's so different from the versions that actually made these stories famous yeah i know not the versions that started them but the versions that made them famous yeah it's true but it just goes to show we've come a long way i guess because what people can actually do in the modern age is make things more inclusive of people that don't like part of the hesitancy for me to like talk for an entire hour about avalon and morgan Le Fay is that like there's not a lot to work with (laughs) 
that isn't more modern. It's doubly interesting to me because I could never understand for a long time. There's a lot of like modern day Wiccans, I want to say, that they use Morgan Le Fay as like their main goddess that they worship and they pray to. Mm -hmm. And I was always very confused by this because I was like, what's the connection? What's the relation? Me not really knowing much about her yeah now I kind of totally can see the can see the line and see the connection to the fairy world and to Avalon and to her being this like sorceress slash priestess however you want to whatever you want to call it it's very interesting Mm -hmm. um but ultimately I feel like she's kind of now in our modern era at least for certain groups of people she's very revered as like holding on to some type of like mysticism like celtic yeah ancient knowledge you know so i can totally understand why people uh consider her a deity hell i consider taylor swift a deity so it's all on the table as far as (laughs) things are concerned that's that's another story for another time (laughs) you can't just say that and then i can say whatever i want (laughs) yeah no i really i really do i really think that like in in 2000 years from now people will be seeing finding all of these rando memes and shit of her on the internet and they're gonna be like that must have been their goddess (laughs) that's what i really think is gonna happen especially especially if we actually live through an apocalypse then for sure that that's gonna happen you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) there will be other ones Madonna is gonna be the new Madonna you know what I mean like oh my god well yeah can you imagine think about it no (laughs) you're like I don't want to imagine a world it makes me think I think a lot of the times if if these people like all of the because we tend to look at you know goddesses or like certain figures like Morgan Le Fay and stuff who were you know like were they real were they not real just like jesus we we don't know who was physically alive and who wasn't if there was somebody that kind of embodied these characteristics or if there was like a famous like king who had a daughter that was like this and somehow through time she became some type of deity or something but we really don't know how these stories of these people that or even if they are people that we explore we don't really know how or where, or if they were real, you know? So I just wonder in like, you know, a couple thousand years from now, what people will think of the people from now when we're going to be ancient. Yeah. It's weird to think that we will be ancient to some people, but I think eventually we will be, but with podcasts. Unless we like kill everything first. Yeah. But then, you know, yeah. <laughs> but with podcasts, I think digital stuff will <laughs> figure out a way to survive somehow. <laughs> got dystopian real fast <laughs> real real quick real quick but i that's the thing i find them i find morgan lefay and avalon general to be quite elusive but like you said i think this is kind of the point and also kind of why maybe many girls even like i said i didn't know much about mist of avalon before but i could see why people women would feel the call to that because at the end of the day, Morgan Le Fay and Avalon kind of symbolize something feminine. And from mm-hmm. any, even of the earliest details of them, we can feel it. So when women have something that they can't explain going on inside them, and then there's a story about this mystical thing that we can't explain, there's like a natural, like, 
Uh, there's a pull. Pull, I think. And I think yeah. this not for me, but for many, many people. And I think that's how these kind of, you know, that's how we get here where we are now with her being like a PNP to some people. Um, these, you know, elaborate backstories. I like these elaborate magical backstories. Maybe not the writers so much, but just I like the exploration <laughs> of those things, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think like, you know, it is a really interesting take and it's a take that I appreciate yeah. of like, you know, it's just a protection against the encroachment of Christianity. There's um, not many other takes. There's like, it's otherwise, it's otherwise she was just a vague goddess or Celtic woman who could heal Arthur or she was like a nasty bitch who was constantly trying to dethrone him and fuck him over like I mean that said I do really like the BBC version of Merlin mm. where like Morgana begins huh I haven't seen it oh it's so good and in it I'm gonna just spoil it for you Morgana kind of begins as a friend to Arthur and Guinevere and Merlin. But yeah, in the end, she betrays them. But the one thing that's kind of nice is that she's given plausible reasons for her change of heart in the series. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, she has these magical powers and a Camelot that's ruled over by Uther, who is a king that condemns magic practitioners. So in this series, Merlin is constantly hiding his magic as well. Um, But she also discovers that she is the illegitimate daughter of Uther, but he has absolutely no intention of acknowledging her and kind of like refuses that. So you can see how she would have this change of heart and then be like, well, screw you. I am going to take down my half brother because why should he get all the glory? And why do you give Mm -hmm. him the right to bear your name? And you just continue to refuse me. Mm -hmm. And like, I can see like they give her some plausible reasons to have a change of heart, but like she does, take it a step further and then you know by the end she is solely motivated by hatred and greed and becomes this like pantomime villain who's always dressed in black Mm. and really awakens her magical powers with this desire to rule over Camelot with her a decline in her morality Mm -hmm. which is interesting but like for for a brief moment there you can see the change and she actually has reasons to start that shift yeah yeah yeah. Well, I let, again, again, modern explorations create much more diverse characters. Like they create, yeah. you know, I think you and I both grew up in the era of one-sided villains and one-sided heroes. And in mm-hmm. modern, in our day, modern tellings, there are, there is no hero. There is no villain. There's like an anti-hero and there's like, I don't know, whatever the opposite is for a villain. But like the idea is that they're complex characters usually and they yeah. have good and bad elements to them. And and essentially it's, I really like that form of storytelling because it's way more human. It's way more yeah honest. It humanizes them and makes them much more relatable. And Even there will magic. be some characters. Yeah, there are some characters that you really feel the pull toward and you understand their perspectives and why they're behaving in a certain way and others where you're like I get why you're being such a shit but it's still not okay but it provides layers and depth so I feel like 
my conclusion from exploring Morgan Le Fay and Avalon is that we need to create some more better quality fan fiction around this character. Like, <laughs> well, I that's think my so, takeaway. Because here's the thing. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur's not a saint, but he's always kind of revered as being this hero. Do you like, know what's he has sad? this reputation. Do you know what's what? sad? He's not a saint, but because the worst thing that he does, actually, Arthur doesn't covet anybody's wife, does he? No, he doesn't. No. He's the only one who doesn't. Okay, scratch what I was going to say. Sorry, continue. Yeah. But despite his reputation of being a noble warrior and a just king, he his moral ambiguity mm. is very prevalent. Like, you don't really know where where his morals are. It's true. Actually, his, yeah. I mean, like, he's he's born in a not-so-great way, which we already know, right, mm-hmm. with, with his father going after a grain um but he has a child arthur has a child at a wedlock who is the product of an incestuous union with his half-sister mm-hmm. morgos mm-hmm. in some legends it's morgan mm-hmm. the two go back and forward um learning of the child mordred's birth and like that child we know is fated to be his downfall he does tries to destroy his son. He tries to destroy his son by ordering the death of all babies born on that day. Oh, that sounds like something somebody in the Bible did. Yeah. Arthur's best knight Lancelot. Yeah. Yeah, Herod does that. Mm -hmm. Arthur's best knight Lancelot has an adulterous affair with Guinevere. But like... It's always, it's never the men. It's always like Morgan who's branded yeah, as this that's, villain. Yeah, that's so. what I was trying to get to before is that like the men are not considered bad because the worst thing they do is like go after other people's wives and like, you know, like adultery. Kill babies. Kill babies. But I guess that's just like, you know, a day in the life. A, a king's got a king and a knight's got a knight or something. I guess so. But like... I, I I just yeah I why why does Arthur still get all the glory even now like in the twenty whatever whatever where are we at like twenty first century is a woman yeah. considered evil just because she desires power for herself we still yeah. see this yeah oh yeah we still sure. see this right we still for see sure. women if they are the minute a the woman boss, starts if they are by in the man's charge. Rules. And starts playing the man's yeah. game. She's gone against everything she's, she's as supposed a bitch. to be. She's gone against everything she's supposed to be. Uh, mm-hmm. She's not thinking in her feminine mind. And it's just like very, very... Which may be true yeah. on some level. But like how are you going to condemn a person for that? If this is the society like we're up inside. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. In a lot of renditions now, Morgan Le Fay is still presented as being a villain because that's just a story that we're told. But I'm kind of like, you know. Oh, I'm definitely over it. Like, I'm definitely not. I'm not going to ever consider her a villain. And no. <laughs> the minute you tell me Catholic people wrote something, I'm like, okay, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite of that, actually. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Facts have shown. <laughs> Facts have shown. She was this wonderful Celtic healer goddess. And they're like, oh, no, she was evil. Yeah, exactly. Scratch that. 
Exactly. So anyways, it just kind of like, you know, well, I think that's kind of the story essentially does what it's designed to do in in that sense, right? Like it keeps it vague, Mm -hmm. it keeps it mysterious. And, and, and like you said, which I thought was like a, a brilliant insight is like, maybe they just didn't touch it for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, (laughs) they just didn't want to fuck with it too much, you know? And I also read, I read something uh, interesting. I'm trying to pull it out of my brain now around the time that, you know, like, was it Chrétien? He wrote all of these poems for the... Oh, for, yeah, the queen? No, not for the queen, for her daughter. For For her daughter, yeah. Duchess of Champagne. So, um, you know, like her mother... Eleanor of Aquitaine was like a big fucking deal. She was at one point queen of France and she was at one point queen of England. She or Britain. She also like waged war against one of her husbands. She was like a super badass. So Mm -hmm. this is all happening amongst the backdrop of all of this other stuff, the the love stories and the, um, you know, kind of degradation of women um, and there, she could have been kind of like um, influential in the way that women get shaped because here's a woman doing what you said, like breaking the rules, yeah. living her own life. Yeah. And, and in a very much in a, so rel- in a, what we would consider like literally in medieval, not medieval. No, maybe a bit past that. Early medieval. Early medieval time. Right. So that's. I think so. Or like mid medieval. Basically, they got a taste. They got a taste of what a woman with money and power could do, and it freaked everybody out. So they tried to figure out ways to be like, "Hey, that's not cool." And then we see like her daughter getting these poems written, who just seems like kind of like, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. The way that parents do something, the child has a natural inclination to rebel against the way that parents do something. I've been watching. Well, no, but she also like her mom also had. Uh, stories and stuff written in her court according to her oh, liking. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was very much like she saw her mom doing that and was just like, well, I can have stuff written in my court according to my writing. But or, I like according to what to be, I want to hear. But I wanted to be smooshy yeah. and kissy. Oh, and I also wanted to make a note. Earlier in this series, I had said I think that the French created like romance like romantic love but yeah. I, I'm going to take that back now because I was doing some deeper reading and around the whole crusades and going um with all of the christian or catholic soldiers going into jerusalem there was like a 200 year period and nine crusades so in this time a lot of men from europe went off and they were told that their their lands and their home and everything would be protected and waiting for them when they came back the thing is is many of them didn't come back they either died there or they actually settled down there and so mm-hmm. apparently coming from the East and coming from the Islamic tradition, which we haven't explored yet, which is really, really cool, especially when you get into Sufism and stuff. But there was poetry. There was talk about romantic love. And people think that it's those kinds of poems and that romantic idea was was kind of brought back by the European 
guys that did come back from the crusades and that's maybe where some of that romantic influence comes from yes it was a very european notion of me to think that the french created love (laughs) but it's just like we haven't really delved into like that kind of part of the world because like we said it's not really our ancestry and like you know we kind of want to do it it respectfully that part of the world brought enlightenment to europe yeah, freaking absolutely. So yeah. I, after I read that, I was like, oh, I should probably go on record retracting what I said earlier. Like, <laughs> it was, like I had said it was a speculation, but now I could see like maybe it actually was coming from like um, somewhere completely different. Um, <laughs> which, oh, man, I would just love to do some exploration into Islam and Sufism because I just think it's the coolest. So cool. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I we'll, love get it. There. we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is it for today. That's kind of the exploration of Morgana. And, so I feel uh, in a Morgan lot of ways, I feel in a lot of ways, Morgan Le Fay and Avalon still have a lot to be, there's still a lot to be said, <laughs> a lot to be written about. If anybody knows of, like, I'm going to call it fan fiction. That's probably not doing it justice. If anybody <laughs> knows of any other interesting stories around these characters to explore, uh, definitely let us know. I think it would be worth it. And if anybody's working on a project like that, let us know because I would love to explore that a bit more. I think I think to this day and age, we still haven't done her justice by sounds of it. Nope. <laughs> I think that's fair. I'm just, nope. Nope, we haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and with that. And with that, to be continued at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go for now. And um, remember to follow on Instagram, Allegory Story Podcast. Uh, send us an email, allegorystorypodcast at gmail.com. And subscribe and follow. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon. Bye.